Before we start today's podcast, the Truth About Aging wish to acknowledge that this episode has been recorded on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We pay our deepest respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge the Ghana people as the custodians of the Adelaide region and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to the living Ghana people today. everyone and welcome to the Truth About Aging podcast. I'm your host, Kate Helmore. Each week we'll be unpacking your questions about the aged care sector, discussing how to age well, grow old and make informed decisions. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today is episode 37 and it is part two of our hospital discharge planning and advocacy series. So if you haven't already, I do encourage you to go back and listen to episode 36 where I really outline all the different discharge pathways and different care options for people coming out of hospital. I think it's really beneficial to have that kind of foundational knowledge about what the options are because today we're going to be talking about how to have those discussions with the hospital and how to advocate for yourself or your loved one when it comes to hospital discharge planning. So if you haven't already, jump back to 36 and then we will dive right into today's episode of what to do when you're advocating for your loved one in hospital. Okay, so step one is understanding the situation. And this I'm going to break down into three separate parts. The reason why I'm still doing this as one general step is because often things in hospital can move quite quickly. Someone might be admitted, they might be tested, and they could be out within 24 hours or less than 24 hours. So sometimes the time frame for understanding these things and for advocating can be really quite quick. (laughs) And which is why knowing these things in advance can be really helpful or having a resource like this to refer back to can be really helpful so that you know what to ask and what you're looking for. So number one is understanding the situation. Now, part A of understanding the situation is knowing the diagnosis. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be a nurse or a medical professional to really understand the ins and outs of it. It's just asking if they know what the diagnosis is or what they suspect the diagnosis is. Again, often they won't know this for a period of time. If someone's just presented to hospital, it's unlikely that they'll know immediately exactly what's going on. So you might frame it in terms of, do you know what the diagnosis is? Or are there certain things that you're currently considering it might be? Just to give you a bit of a feel for what the potential options are that they're looking at. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to then go away and Google everything about the situation and what it means, but it will give you an idea of, you know, have they fractured their hip or were they, did they just bump their head during the fall and they're just doing a little bit more neural observation to make sure that they're okay. You want to understand roughly what the diagnosis is just so you get a feeling of how severe the condition is and what care might be required after that. Part B of understanding the situation is asking if there's any potential discharge plans. And again, it might feel silly asking this. If they only went into hospital 
you know, Monday afternoon, it might feel silly calling up Tuesday morning and asking if there's discharge plans. However, let me promise you, sometimes this happens very quickly and with very little consultation. So there's no harm in asking at any point in time, are there any potential discharge plans? Because you want to get a feel for, are they getting them in and out of here? And, you know, within the next six hours, we're going to have to have a plan in place. Or is this something that they're going to be in there for a week where they're doing a lot more assessments and testing to really understand what's going on? So part B is understanding potential or asking about potential discharge plans. And part C of understanding the situation, and again, this might feel silly to ask early on, but it's worth getting a bit of a feel for because this can happen fairly quickly, is asking what kind of level of care they're going to need when they do return home or when they are discharging from hospital. So you're trying to get a feel for Is it that they're just going to return home and really it's just some antibiotics that they'll be on for a week? Is it that they might need some showering assistance for a while? Is it that they're going to need a full multidisciplinary team or intensive rehab to get back to their baseline? Again, you're just trying to get a feel for where on that spectrum of care they're going to sit just so that it can better inform your next move. Because without that information, you don't know if you're going to be looking at respite or permanent care or transitional care packages or there's a million well it's not a million as we discussed in last episode there's many different probably nine key pathways out there that you want to know which of those you're going to start looking at because you can't explore all of them and it would be a waste of your time to start exploring all of them which is why we use these questions to get a bit of a baseline understanding of the situation so we're trying to understand a the diagnosis B, potential discharge plans, and C, what level of care is going to be required on discharge. So step two is creating a bit of a plan. And I should say there are specific discharge planners in hospital whose role it is to find a safe and suitable discharge for you or your loved one. However, in my experience, There is no harm in spending some time working out what supports you could provide and communicating that to the hospital as well to give them extra information about what's available for your loved one. From the hospital situation, if they don't know that your loved one has a home care package or has family that live around the corner or has a neighbor that would be happy to come and help with some things, they can't factor that into their discharge planning. So for number two, step two, I encourage people to meet or discuss with any of those key informal supports. Actually, not even just informal, informal and formal supports. So it's having a discussion with your family, with any friends, with the neighbours, with your service provider. So if your loved one does have a home care package, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be able to step in and provide all the services they need on discharge. It might be that they don't have funding available. It might be that they don't have staffing available. There's a number of different barriers to that too. So it's worth not assuming that those things will be okay and instead getting a bit of a feel for what's going to be required and who can provide what. So this is off the back of step one where we have a bit of a base level understanding of what the situation is and what care is going to be required. You then want to sit down and work through who can provide that support 
And that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to cover all of it. It might be they need intensive rehab, in which case the family's unlikely going to be able to provide that unless you happen to be a whole family of specialist, aged care, physiotherapists and occupational therapists, which I doubt. But if we're talking those lower level care options where maybe it's welfare checks, maybe it's some assistance with medication, maybe it's someone doing the food shopping for a couple of weeks or helping with the heavier domestic duties around the house, those kinds of things you would want to have an understanding of and sit down and go, right, you know, I can do the shopping on a Tuesday. John, can you pick up the gardening for a week or two while mum's recovering? Susan, are you happy to go and do some of the cleaning for her on a Wednesday? Whatever it is that's going to be required, you're trying to map out a little bit of an understanding about everyone's capacity to assist. And I should say, there's nothing wrong with being able to say, we don't have capacity, because that's also what you're trying to ascertain. It's not everybody giving up everything, but it's getting a feel for what people can realistically support with and what they're unable to. So step two is meeting with people and getting a little bit of a plan in place about what you might be able to assist with. Step three is staying in regular contact with the hospital and communicating what capacity you have to support. Now, again, this can be something that people might feel uncomfortable with, calling up the hospital each day and getting a bit of an understanding. And I should say, not necessarily calling up. You can go in and visit if you're allowed to as well. But however you're communicating with them, unless they've specifically said, mum's going to be in here for three to four weeks and we're looking at intensive rehab, I would suggest then it's probably not worth calling up every day and you probably will start to get on their nerves. However, if they've not been clear about discharge plans or they're still working through what that looks like or it's something that you feel would probably be in that shorter period of time that they're going to be in hospital for, plans can change quickly and it can be worth staying in contact and really understanding where they're up to in their decision making and what the next step is. Typically, you know, they'll have their doctor's rounds on the wards. I would say don't contact more than once a day. That's plenty for you to get an understanding about where they're up to and preferably, I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to call at 12 o'clock on the dot, but if you call around a similar time each day, it means typically then those rounds are going to be done so that you've always got 24 hours worth of information at any point in time. So part of staying in contact with the hospital is, again, coming back to some of those first questions we were asking, understanding the diagnosis asking any potential discharge plans and understanding what kind of care level they're going to need when they return home. But also we're going to tie in there step two, which is around what capacity you have to assist. And so this might be saying to them, just letting you know, we've spoken with a service provider today. They can come in and do showers on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and the family are going to pick up the shopping and the cleaning and the gardening. So between us, we feel comfortable that we can provide those things if that's the level of care that she needs when she ret- when she's coming out of hospital. So communicating that with the hospital, again, keeping in mind that they are seriously under the pump and very time poor. So the more succinct and helpful you can be with giving them information they need for discharge planning, the more they're going to appreciate that and really be able to work alongside you to get the best outcome for you or your loved one. I would be mindful in not, I definitely don't expect and don't be offended if they are pretty short and quick with you on the phone. 
Again, it's not from a place of them not wanting to speak with you or not caring. They have a million and one things they're trying to get through. But keeping them in the loop and keeping yourselves informed can be really important. Okay, lastly, step four, which is advocacy when required. Now, this is something, hopefully, that if all goes to plan, you've been communicating well with the hospital, they're understanding the situation and really working with you to get the best outcome for you or your loved one to return home. Hopefully, you don't need this step at all. However, realistically, and in my experience, this is often something that you need to be very clear about and very firm on your rights and responsibilities and when to advocate for yourself or your loved one. So again, this comes in the context of hospitals being seriously overworked and they really are trying to do their best to keep people safe, but get them out of those hospitals as soon as possible. So there's a few different things that we see here and it can kind of often go one way or the other. Sometimes they will be advocating for someone to go straight to residential care. It's often maybe an easier pathway I say easier, easier for them to find a permanent bed. They might not be aware of what supports are available for the individual in the community. And in their opinion, they might be at the point of needing residential care. Sometimes this isn't always the appropriate time for someone to move into care. And often there are a number of other options available before that becomes the case. So in this situation, you would really want to be advocating for any of those other pathways to be used before the individual is admitted anywhere permanently. At the very least, and I guess somewhat commonly, they would probably admit them for respite, first of all. So worst case, they can go to a facility for respite while you, the family, service provider, work out a bit of a plan about how they can return home from there. But it's worth being aware of that sometimes they may push permanent residential aged care And it may need to be a little bit of pushback on, we don't feel that it's time for that. And here are some of the other things that we'd like to look at first. The other end of the spectrum, and possibly what happens more commonly, is people being sent home without supports. Again, it often comes from the stress of the hospital system. But I have seen a number of situations where clients or even family members are discharged without appropriate support at home, that they might be on a whole lot of different medications, they might not have fully recovered from the situation, there might be an expectation that suddenly family are going to be living with them or moving in for a short period of time. Most commonly, there's an expectation that if someone has a home care package, that the home care package will suddenly take on a whole lot of care, which depending on whether someone has funds available in their package or if the service provider has capacity, isn't always something that can occur. And this is probably one of the clearest ones where it's really important for you as an advocate, either for yourself or for your loved one, feel very confident in saying, I do not feel safe returning home or I do not feel safe about my loved one returning home, I don't have capacity to be able to provide that care, we cannot provide that care for my loved one, for myself at home. Feel free to be strong in your wording. The hospital cannot provide an unsafe discharge. If you as the individual say, I don't feel safe with that and I can't return home right now, or if the family are saying, we cannot provide the support that you're asking us to, 
the hospital will have to find other options. They will need to look at other alternatives. And again, with the knowledge you've got from episode 36, you can potentially even throw some ideas at them for other things that could be looked at. Have we considered hospital at home care? Have we considered a transitional care package? Could we potentially look at respite for a short period of time before returning home? All of these things are options and there are many, many options available out there that if you or your loved one do not feel safe returning home, it's incredibly important that you have a very frank discussion with the hospital to say, we do not feel safe and we cannot support this discharge plan. And they will have to then go back and have a look at what the other options are. I know that sounds a little intense, but it does sometimes take some really firm and clear advocacy to get the best outcome for yourself or for your loved one when they're in hospital. I should touch on quickly as well, it will vary from provider to provider, but if you have a home care package, some of the service providers are happy to be involved in hospital discharge planning too. So if you're feeling completely overwhelmed by this whole situation and don't know where to start, have a chat with your service provider and they can often help be involved in some of that hospital discharge planning or help guide you in terms of what the different options are for you or your loved one. However, I think it's always best to be safe and have the knowledge yourself too hence the whole topic of this podcast. So you have a good understanding of what's required. If your service provider is there, if you have a home care package, you can draw on them as well, but you're not relying on anyone else. You have that information there so that you can support yourself and your loved one at a time of need to make sure that they are discharged in a safe, suitable and way that they feel comfortable and confident. Because Again, the last thing you want is for someone to be discharged home without proper supports, feeling uncomfortable or not confident in their home environment and potentially having another incident and ending up back in hospital again. So I think there's maybe some stereotypes around people that don't typically feel comfortable pushing back on these things. And it's certainly something that I have worked on as a skill over time, but it really is an integral role to be an advocate for your loved one if they are not able to do that for themselves. So don't have any problem with calling the hospital each day and finding out what's going on. Don't feel bad about saying, we can't provide this support. Know that you're doing it for your loved one and know that you are doing it from a place of love and understanding and also delivered with kindness and empathy and a broader understanding of the strains and stresses of the hospital system too. They're really not trying to act poorly or put your loved one at risk, but it's worth being honest and frank about what some of those barriers are so that you can really address them head on with your advocacy as well. Alrighty, we will wrap up today's episode there. So step one, understanding the situation, which has its three parts. A, understanding the diagnosis. B, understanding the potential discharge plans. And C, understanding what level of care is going to be provided when they return home. Step two, meeting with friends, family, service provider, but to understand what supports realistically could be provided for your loved one at home. Step three, staying in regular contact with the hospital and communicating what capacity you have to provide support at home. And number four, advocating when required being firm about what you can and cannot assist with and when you do not feel safe to return home or you do not have capacity to provide the support they are saying your loved one needs. 
I really hope there's been some beneficial parts in today's episode. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at The Truth About Aging, on Facebook at The Truth About Aging Podcast, or you can contact me through our website at www.thetruthaboutaging.com.au. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I will speak to you again next Wednesday. Bye.